1: friends and neighbors, good to have you back on the Bill Press Pod, and especially good to welcome you to our roundtable, where we look back on the news of the week, and oh, what a week it was, where we went from the brink of war with Iran to all-out war between Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell over articles of impeachment. In Iran, after the assassination of Iran's top General Osama Suleimani, and a shower of Iranian rockets on a military base in Iraq, It appears that both Iran and the United States have backed down from any more attacks, but will the stand down last? Meanwhile, the House does clip the president's wings on taking any more military action against Iran. And on the impeachment front, Mitch McConnell says he's got the votes, so he doesn't have to haggle with Nancy Pelosi on any rules for the Senate trial of President Trump. He says, let the trial begin. So much to talk about, and here to make some sense of it all. Nikki Schwab, senior U.S. political reporter for the Daily Mail. Hello, Nikki.
0: Hello, Bill.
1: Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good to see you. And Eliza Collins, politics reporter covering the 2020 election for the Wall Street Journal. Hello, Eliza.
2: Hi there.
1: Uh, good that you're in town, not on the road.
2: Happy to be here. Where you normally
1: know <laughs> are. And John Bennett, White House correspondent for Roll Call. For the moment, but about maybe to, not maybe, about to take on a much more important job. Hello, John.
3: Hello, Bill. Happy New Year.
1: We'll hear about that a little bit later. Happy New Year. Good to see you. What a great panel. Great to see you all. Let's start with Iran. Uh, Did we escape war this week, and is that going to stand? What's your read from the White House, John?
3: We certainly came very close to more than just, you know, trading missile strikes. Um, I, I think the, the Iranians, uh, by all indications, tried to end this with, with their missile strikes. And, you know, they, they got out there very quickly, uh, senior officials saying that they have the capability to, uh, to you know, to, with, with guidance systems and everything— um, to know where these missiles are going to land pretty much. And, and they, they seem to have targeted parts of these facilities in Iraq where there were no U.S. or even Iraqi personnel. They, they knew where they were shooting, and they hit where they were shooting. And then they quickly signaled, and, and again, not that we can believe the Iranians, uh, that they have concluded their reaction to uh, General Suleimani's assassination or targeted killing or whatever term. Uh, we're using today for that, but this could have spiraled out of control. And if Donald Trump had if President Trump had seen, let's say he's not in the situation room and, um, you know, you, I think you can criticize the Pentagon officials and the and the intelligence officials for taking the option back to him to take out Soleimani after he had just days earlier rejected it as too risky, like his two predecessors had. Uh, and then he's watching cable news at Mar-a-Lago, and he gets upset that his embassy is burning in Baghdad and is charred. Uh, they, you can criticize him for taking it back to him days later after he's watched coverage um, of, of Iranians, and, 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 and he feels somewhat weakened by this. And he's, he's an insecure uh, fella. and and I think had he not been in the Situation Room for several hours— On the afternoon and into the evening when the Iranians retaliated with those missile strikes, if he had been watching the coverage and I was watching cable news coverage, this could have gone very differently.
1: Nikki, we all felt at the beginning of the week, to be honest, right, that we were going to war.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I I mean, I was in Mar-a-Lago last week with with Trump and, you know, I was I was pulling on that very sort of nerve wracking Friday when, you know, on the heels of the targeted killing or assassination of Soleimani. And uh, it it seemed very evident, even from that, that the White House didn't have a plan. They didn't even have a plan to sort of announce what they had done. And so being part of the press pool, I mean, they brought us to Mar-a-Lago. There was at one point, I think, maybe some indication that he was going to go golfing, uh, which would have been optically, you know, politically terrible for him if, you know, this is— Potentially the start of a, a war and he is out on his on the golf know, course, you know, right. on the golf course. I mean, it was very nice outside. So it would have been a great day for golf, but probably not for, uh, you know, President Trump staying in office another four years if he decided to do that. And it was, you know, it, it was very apparent that he didn't have a plan. Um, you know, he had this event that night scheduled with his evangelical followers And, you know, at the last second, they brought the pool back to Mar-a-Lago because he decided that he had to do some sort of statement before he then basically went to a rally, because that also would have looked terrible. He needed to sort of explain to sort of the broader uh, American public what was what his thinking was. And even in there, it was about three minutes of him chatting and then he didn't take questions and then he he did a rally. And so, I mean, it was very typical that the White House would handle this, but it was, you know, I mean, the stakes were so high. And it was very kind of scary that they didn't have some sort of plan to roll out, you know, this decision. And then, you know, we saw a couple of days where, you know, it really did feel, as John was saying, very tense and that that, you know, had he had he been provoked, he might have, you know, it could have spiraled out of control. I will say, though, I think that his supporters have sort of saved the country in many ways because. I don't think that they have an appetite for war with Iran. And I remember being on the campaign trail, this is months ago, and of course this is one anecdote, right? Mm-hmm. Being in Pennsylvania, talking to a, you know, a swing state voter, but a Trump supporter, and I was like, is there anything this president could do to lose your support? Go to war with Iran, was this man's answer. Mm-hmm. They, really, you know, they really believe in the fact that he doesn't want to be meddling in the Middle East anymore. A lot of these people are yeah. veterans.
1: Well, Eliza, on that point, that's, that's one thing where I find myself Agreeing with Trump and agreeing with Tucker Carlson, right? That the best plan is just to get the hell out of the Middle East after eighteen years in Iraq, in Afghanistan, and I don't know how many in Iraq, right? Since Two thousand three, and, and that was his certain. That is his right. instinct, and this seemed to go against, at least in the beginning of the week, this has to go against his instinct, and he ended up sending more troops.
2: Right, and that's something he campaigned on. That is something he has brought up over the years. You know, I think where we are right now is actually what his supporters feel like. You know, when you talk to them, they say, well, that's what he was always he always didn't want to get involved. He had to have a they feel comfortable that he had sort of a shot, a moment where he showed, um, they say, leadership or power, but then was able to back off. But like you guys were just saying, things could have escalated very quickly and it could be it could have gone a completely different direction, which. Was not what many of his supporters actually are looking for. In here.
1: fact, when he came out of the grand foyer, were you, I don't know if
3: you were there. No,
1: uh, I was at I the White House. To not be
3: there the one day. On that Wednesday, they usher us in. I, I was told by someone who was that there was nobody a CMP, knew ahead of right? time. No, what he was going to say. Nope. and it could have gone yeah. either way. I think and they changed sort of like, the
0: script too. Did you see they like the, they changed the, what was in the binder at mm-hmm. one
1: point too? They, they changed the <laughs> script. Like he was, he was about a half an hour late. Yeah. In the middle of that, they picked up the script, took it back, and then brought it back. Yeah, they did change it. But he could easily have said, bombs away, right? Nobody knew. It was sort of everybody breathed a collective sigh of relief.
3: Right. Back to Nikki's point, there is no plan. There is no Trump (laughs) doctrine, uh, foreign policy-wise. He's so impulsive. He lives in the moment. He thinks about... What is the Chiron going to say? That that strip of text on the bottom of the cable news screen. And I really think with the Suleimani thing, because he had rejected it, he had understood the potential ramifications. He had understood it could mean all out war. He did it anyway. The plan was to change the Chiron. I think it's that simple. And for Donald Trump, you have to get his attention. I think the Iranians got his attention when they fired those missiles this week and he he i think he finally understood the stakes but then he comes out and if you want to trace all this back you can go back to his sanctions on iran it's really hurt their economy there's been domestic political unrest the regime feels threatened internally mm-hmm. and and he comes out and 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 this the speech he gave in the in grand foyer he's all over the place there's no plan his plan the, the elements of his plan they so, it's disjointed it's contradictory more sanctions it's going to further squeeze the regime in Tehran and and they're gonna lash out across the region uh, they do that partially to make their own population feel like they're standing up to the great state in America and we're just in this we're just in this cycle and you know four months from now five months from now the eve of election day who knows where we, where we might be well one other
1: factor that that seemed to um, that certainly was at play here was it was hard to believe, based on what all of you are saying, too, what the White House was saying, and different people were saying different things. So Mike Pompeo, and I forget who else went up to Capitol Hill, I think Mike Esper, Mm -hmm. uh, Defense Secretary, to brief members of Congress. Here is Republican Senator Mike Lee responding to the briefing that they got.
4: They were asked repeatedly, what if anything, would trigger the need for the administration to come back to Congress for a declaration of war or an authorization for the use of military force. At one point, I believe one of the briefers said something along the lines of, I'm sure we could think of something. (laughs) But they struggled to identify anything. Uh, At one point, one of the briefers said something like, uh, don't worry, we'll consult you. Well, with history as our guide, uh, consultation isn't necessarily the same thing as authorization for the use of military force. And drive-by notification or after-the-fact uh, lame briefings like the one we just received aren't adequate. They had to leave after 75 minutes while they're in the in the process of telling us that we need to be good little boys and girls and run along and, and not debate this in public. I, I, I find that absolutely insane.
1: And embarrassing, Mikey. So not, to, not the way to make friends uh, on the, on the Hill.
2: Mike Lee is also not someone who gets riled up. I mean, no, this is right. very yeah. uncharacteristic for Mike Lee. But what is fascinating here is you have someone like Mike Lee coming out just fuming mad. But then you've got other Republicans coming out saying, we got all the information. It was crystal clear. And so it just really reinforces this partisan moment we're in is that everyone walked out hearing what they wanted to hear. but. With Mike Lee being a Republican who does not get very angry often, just coming out steaming mad, I think it does make it harder for Republicans to argue that there was all this intel; it was laid out for them, and they feel completely comfortable with what the administration is doing.
1: And Nikki, when the president, uh, by the Washington Post count, is over fifteen thousand lies told so far, right? When he comes out and says, "Well, we killed them because they were tar- they were going to bomb our embassy," it may be true, but it does make you wonder whether he's telling the truth.
0: Especially because there's no evidence. And, you know, <laughs> right. like, right. Congress didn't hear that. I mean, that's not what we're hearing from congressional sources. They said there was like three three points that both Esper and Pompeo, like, laid out, of course, because it was supposed to be kind of a classified briefing. They, they weren't, you know, divulging a lot of details, but apparently those three points, like, didn't line up. They weren't the same three points. Hmm. That's what we were hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there was definitely a lot of frustration coming out of that meeting, but it was the Mike Lee thing was completely out of character.
3: John, I had one thought uh, to what Nikki and her colleagues were hearing the whole time these briefings were going down and members were coming out and the things that the intel didn't line up. And I thought one thing, where's Gina? Gina Haspel, the CIA. She was You're there. Right. She was there. Okay, I saw her on Capitol there. Hill. But, okay.
0: we, but but I think that she, that she wasn't really the focus.
3: That's what I mean. Right. right. Yeah. If she was there to defend her intelligence— we, I think it would. I, if she was leading the briefing, it would have been a completely different reaction. Yeah. From the members, and I think when you see someone like Gina Haspel take a step back, she looks at Esper and Pompeo and say, "This is your show. You defend it." I yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty, yeah. I yes. that was pretty yes. telling.
0: I mean, it was interesting too. Just you know, sort of the way that um, uh, this is sort of a funny anecdote, but like, you know, Esper comes out and he's got this whole group of you know men around him, and you know Pompeo comes out and they're going between the House and the Senate. And, like, Haspel, no one's even realizing she's there because she's, you know, she's a woman, first of all. And so all the photographers are, you know, flashbulbs in the face of Esper and Pompeo. And then, like, Haspel's just kind of, like, you know, creeping in behind him. They probably didn't recognize her. Yeah, but, I mean, she's such a supporting character in this narrative. I mean, this was definitely, you know, it's, like, sort of the the beating the chest of Pompeo and Esper and and not Haspel whatsoever.
1: And it does get back to an issue, which uh, there are both, some Republicans and some Democrats that raise this issue every time, which is uh, why is isn't didn't the president come to Congress, and why isn't it Congress that is exercising its duty under the Constitution to declare war? Now, in, in his defense, Donald Trump's hardly the first president to ignore Congress when it comes to declaring war. Barack Obama did. George W. Bush did. Bill Clinton did. But I think every president since Harry Truman, actually— Um, But at any rate, the whole concept of consulting Congress is pretty foreign to the Trump White House. Here is, we remember her well, Sarah Huckabee Sanders on Fox News.
0: Uh, You know, I can't think of anything dumber than allowing Congress to take over our foreign policy. And I think the last thing we want to do is push powers into Congress's hands and take them away from the president.
1: can't think of anything dumber than the United States Constitution.
2: Well, that's, I mean, that's really how this administration feels. They feel that they are the ones that should make these decisions. Of course, that is not how, you know, the Constitution, separation of powers. But Congress has also ceded a lot of power to this administration and previous administrations, as you've said. And so, you know, they're reinforcing it. If they have not come, stood up for years and years, it just keeps allowing these administrations to consolidate power. And so we did see last night the House did vote to um, take back some of that power. Now we'll have no idea what's happening in the Senate, and there were a handful, very small handful of Republicans that crossed the aisle. You
1: got Rand Paul and Barbara Lee, right? That's it, right? That's it. Now a few others, but I mean, uh, Tim Kaine, um, Mike Lee,
2: Mike think, Lee, Mike
0: right? Lee.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. But but both hands, you could count them, right,
3: right? As I get over the the mild case of PTSD from, from the clip, there, uh, <laughs> listen to a lot of that back back when there were briefings. I listened to a lot of. Uh, a lot of attack lines like that from uh, Miss Huckabee Sanders. But uh, I don't do this often, but invoking my master's thesis uh, that dealt a lot with AUMFs, I can tell you that, it's like like phone apps or like Trump tweets, there is an AUMF for that and that and that. If you want to do that, I got one for you. Uh, these things, they're written vaguely. Uh, the, the one after 9-11 uh, was written vaguely, depending on who you talk to and what you read— uh, there was some purpose to that. They didn't want to tie George W. Bush's hands. They didn't know exactly what the response would look like or what he might have to do six months after they passed the thing. Uh, the 2002 AUMF, also, it's broad. And the wording in there allows lawyers to, uh, to, to justify things that, that might not need to be or shouldn't be justified. The 2001 AUMF Associated Forces... Every group or country in the Middle East at one point, it seems like, has been associated with a force, or a force that's associated with Al-Qaeda <laughs> or ISIS, and you can just you can pull these things like rubber bands to cover just about anything you want to do.
1: Everybody's using the uh, the 2001 AUMF, including, again, Barack Obama in Libya, right? Mm-hmm. So, Nikki, and, and um, you were there so much with Trump, and when he came out on Wednesday, uh, it, he only spoke for 10 minutes. John said there were a lot of zigs and zags in, this, in those 10 minutes. But the one that really struck me is when um, he blamed Barack Obama for the yeah, that missiles. Was the,
0: that was the second half of the programming.
1: Yeah, that, the, for the missiles that were raining down on the uh, airbase in, uh, in in Iraq. That, uh, again, saying, which I think has been proven not to be true, that Barack Obama gave Iran the money that they then spent on buying these missiles.
0: He wrote them a personal check so they were able to buy <laughs> those missiles that shot Araya. Iraqi bases. No, I mean, I, I mean, there's I sort of an Obama penis
1: envy almost, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, sure. I'll say it. Oh, um, great. Um, no, I mean, it's sort of a, I mean, I think that this president, when he thinks about Iran, he thinks about Obama because of the, of the Iran nuclear deal. And he hates that deal. He hates anything that Obama did because that was actually a, a big deal. That they, you know, they, they got this across the finish line, Obama and, um, and Secretary Kerry. Uh, and so, I mean, dismantling it, which Trump did in May 2018, I mean, you could sort of pinpoint that, and a lot of people are, of sort of where this escalation began.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's hard to believe that there's anything uh, more that we could talk about this week, uh, because war is such, and this, this situation with Iran is so serious— But there are other uh, topics we need to get to with our panel, Nikki Schwab, Eliza Collins, and John Bennett. And we will after a quick break here. Today's roundtable brought to you by the International Association of Firefighters. Yes, they are over 320,000 strong, 320,000 professional firefighters and paramedics across the United States and Canada, answering the call now for over 100 years, and they're on the front lines still today protecting American families. Not only that, many of them have traveled to Australia to help combat the disastrous brush fires destroying that beautiful continent, all under the leadership of President Harold Schaefberger. We salute the firefighters and thank them for their good work and their support of the Bill Press pod.
0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: Well, we're back with our uh, roundtable here. John Bennett uh, from Roll Call, Nikki Schwab from The Mail, and Eliza Collins, Wall Street Journal. It looks like we're not going to have a war. Are we going to have a Senate trial? Hmm.
2: I think, Eliza. I think we will. We're just not quite sure when that will be. And Nancy Pelosi might be the only person. Who knows? She did say she would send over the articles of impeachment. I believe it was soon. But there was no, you know, soon could when be.
3: When she's ready. Soon
2: could she's be a, today. Probably soon. Yeah.
3: When In she said weeks. soon, it was very Trumpian. You know, everything's two weeks or it's coming soon. Right. She, just stole she took a play from his, uh, from his playbook. Yeah. yeah, it was Trumpian.
2: I think they're really, we don't know. There were some Democrats that were saying, all right, time to send him over. And then we saw this amazing backtrack. Uh, assuming Pelosi got to us, Adam Smith was the main one yesterday. Mm-hmm. He went on TV and said, let's do it. And then Pelosi, he quickly came out and said, actually, I misspoke and...
1: We should do it whenever. Right. So, Nikki, here is uh, the majority leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell's response to what Nancy is uh, uh, holding back on the articles of impeachment,
3: Mm -hmm. at least for now. I wanted to make sure you understood that we have the votes, uh, once the impeachment trial has begun, to pass a resolution essentially the same, very similar to the 100 to nothing vote in the clinton uh trial during the clinton trial the issue of uh, the appropriateness of calling witnesses was addressed obviously that is the most contentious part of one of these uh proceedings and that'll be addressed uh at that time and not before the uh, uh, trial begins.
0: Uh, so did mcconnell win round one i think he kind of did uh but also he has a majority so i mean he was probably going to win inevitably. Um, But, you know, it does sound that that sound like Chuck Schumer does have uh, plans to basically force votes in the Senate on the floor. And so we will probably see, you know, during the trial, more votes on whether or not certain witnesses should be called. And, you know, there some Democrats are a little optimistic that they might eventually get some witnesses. Now, McConnell is pointing to the Clinton precedent. Now, that precedent is that at the beginning, they didn't have witnesses, but about halfway through the trial, they decided to depose three witnesses, and they actually did sort of the closed-door thing that we saw sort of at the beginning of this impeachment hearing with, uh, with Schiff and everybody. So, I mean, we could see something like that, but I, I do think there is some interest. There's obviously a lot of interest on the Democratic side to see what John Bolton has to say. They still definitely want to hear what Mick Mulvaney wants to say. And so, you know, they're going to use every sort of tool in their toolbox that they can get those, those people on the record.
1: Well, I'm not a lawyer, but I've been in several courtrooms as a juror and also as a defendant um, and have witnessed several trials. I don't remember any ju- ever hearing any judge saying, well, let's just get started and then we'll decide the rules once we're halfway
3: through. But this isn't a criminal court. This, this, this isn't about crimes. This is about high crimes and misdemeanors. This isn't a criminal matter. And the Constitution isn't completely clear so the it senate can up. do whatever it wants it leaves it up to the leaders of both chambers and mitch mcconnell's the leader of the second chamber and yes he'll get to decide and he's got the votes and he's got the votes right. and i do think he mitch, majority. i've been watching mitch mcconnell for what a decade now he doesn't smile a lot oh mitch was smiling a lot this week including he doesn't smile a lot when he gives remarks on the floor and yesterday um You could call it a wry grin. You could even call it a mocking grin as he spoke about this. Mitch won this week. The cat that swallowed the canary. But I
2: think, to Nikki's point, he won this week. But as things go along, that's when it gets more difficult. And there are a handful of Republicans who said, yes, they're willing to vote to start the trial. But they do think there should be witnesses. There are Republicans in tough seats up for re-election. There are also Mm -hmm. Republicans like Lisa Murkowski who have said they think that there should be witnesses. So... There may be enough to force some witnesses, but at this moment, McConnell absolutely has the power. And,
1: and, and Democrats don't things. need that many.
2: No, this is a simple majority.
1: Right. Uh, you mentioned, Nikki, John Bolton. Okay, here's my question. If John Bolton has anything to say... Why is he is just on Fox News? Exactly.
3: I mean, uh, what's this game? Book deal. Why go on Fox News and we can save it for the book? But if he goes
1: in front of the Senate he's going to screw the book deal equally. Not if it's a
0: closed door deposition, though I guess we would eventually see the transcript.
1: But look, don't you think he, it seems to me he's just begging. He wants to be in the spotlight. He wants to be on television well, he's asking talking to be about it. And that will sell books. That's true.
3: I'm, I'm not sure what his, what game he's playing here, but um, I, I, I don't get the sense that he necessarily is dying to testify. I, I did hear someone, and I forget which talking head because there are so many as I look around at these talking heads, and uh, someone said careful that, here, that he, can't, he, can't really, he couldn't have a book deal and tell all without saying publicly, I'm willing to testify, that this was part one of the book deal is how I heard it this week. And I, I'm not sure I subscribe to that, but it's an interesting thing. So he may or may not testify.
0: Right. Probably not. But Trump is totally and, cool with him testifying.
3: Oh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we've heard from I can't wait for the tweet when he does. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we've heard from Fiona Hill, who is his top deputy at the time. So we know what Bolton World was thinking and their opposition to this. I think I I wonder if if Democrats, um, if 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 their prize would really be Mick Mulvaney, the acting White House chief of staff, because he was involved in, uh, as Bolton put it, the drug deal with Ukraine
1: and taking a look now at 2020. Boy, things have suddenly changed. I, I really thought—I think maybe we all did—that we were sailing into the next debate next week uh, with five Democrats on stage. That this we're down to the final five. Cory Booker's already saying that basically the Senate trial is going to take him off the off the stage, uh, off the out of the race. And then suddenly, Tom Steyer pops up and qualifies in Nevada and South Carolina, and he will be number six on the debate. What's going on, Eliza?
2: Uh, money. Tom Steyer has been spending a whole bunch of money. And so we've seen him qualify on the debate stage, even though you're not seeing him necessarily in this top tier of candidates. He has been consistently on the debate stage over some people like Cory Booker, sitting senators. But what was really interesting is that he has been spending a ton of money in Nevada and South Carolina, which are states three and four. Um, And I saw NBC tweeted this out this morning that in Nevada— uh, he spent $10.4 million on advertising, which is the next closest spender was the president with 859000 So Whoa. we're a lot more. Oh. And then in South Carolina, he spent $14.1 million, the next closest spender being Pete Buttigieg with $1 million. So he is on the airwaves basically to himself in states that are really critical. So everyone is zeroing in on Iowa, New Hampshire – and he's just blanketing these airways in states three and four.
1: Right. Um, and Michael Bloomberg, by the way, is doing the same thing in states beyond
2: right. South Carolina, and, yeah. in
1: Michigan, and Super Ohio. And, yeah. and
2: he would be qualifying if he was accepting, well, it depends, but he's not accepting any donations from other people. He's spending only his own money, whereas Steyer is taking those donations, so he is there's basically two parts to qualify for debates. And so Bloomberg has essentially taken himself out of consideration by just qualifying in polls and not taking money.
1: Uh, And for just to be clear, Joe Biden still leads in both Nevada and South Carolina.
2: Absolutely. And he has a pretty healthy lead in those states.
1: Right. So what are we seeing? Nikki, what do you think?
2: I, so I, I sort of have a theory
0: that once, people actually are sort of I, I don't think a lot of people are tuning in yet um i've long said that i thought that joe biden was a weaker candidate than than he's pulling at uh and so i think once we start seeing these early contests especially if you know joe biden i don't think joe biden's gonna like hit it out of the park in iowa nor new hampshire i think that you know Buttigieg judge is really strong in iowa obviously you've, you've got bernie and warren who territorially are uh, close to new hampshire so i think that'll help them and so we'll see it being sort of a four or five person race. And and then I think that Biden will will sort of slide down in these polls. But I, it is very interesting that Steyer's sort of popped up. And Bloomberg, I mean, he's already at like three or four or five percent. You know, there were sitting senators and governors who for months are running for president and have not gotten as far as Bloomberg has. And he announced in late November.
1: But, John, part of the chattering class, which you uh, referred to earlier, uh, a lot of them are saying that what's what's phenomenal right now is the Bernie surge Mm -hmm. that, you know, he just picked up a big uh, environmental group endorsement yesterday that the left seems to be coalescing where it might've been Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders really neck and neck. She would, she pulled ahead for a while, but now he's just kind of taken over. It's very, yeah,
3: it's remarkable after a heart attack and at his age that he would be able to, you know, raise this kind of money. And there, there are legitimate questions about his health and his age. You know, my dad, is in his seventies. He's had uh, some issues with his heart, so I, I certainly empathize with the senator and his family. And but there are legitimate questions. Um, you know, starting to remind me. He's a little been bit stronger of- since his heart attack.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He, and he's and he's always he's been just sorry, like just no, just classically like always just good. Like he's he's never he's always Bernie. Uh, I saw him, you know, at the debate stage in L.A. and then the next day in Venice Beach where he did that big rally with AOC. And he's just. Like, always just kind of hits it out of the park as far as what his supporters want to see. Now, if you like Bernie, you know, like, that's 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 great. You know, he, he doesn't really change. And so, I mean, widening his support might be difficult going forward. But I, I think it's very different than what we see from Biden, who I think that people still look at name ID and they're like, we like Joe Biden. But if you see him on the stump, he appears to be a much sort of weaker candidate than he was when he was vice president.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think back to the GOP nominating uh, fight in 2008. And as, as Senator McCain kind of fell back, I kept telling people, keep an eye on that white horse. Keep an eye on that white horse. And then he surged and won the nomination. And I wonder who is the white horse if there's one in this Democratic field this year. If I had the answer, I'd probably be a wealthier guy. Uh, but I just wonder if someone is going to surge here and, and take this thing. Leads me to my next question. Could it be Amy Klobuchar?
2: So in these early states, in Iowa, New Hampshire, you hear a lot about Amy Klobuchar. People are talking about her. She's certainly waiting in the wings. The problem is that there are other more sort of centrist moderate candidates that are in her lane that are pulling ahead of her. You know, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, and so what they would have to fall, and she would basically have to rise in. Iowa or New Hampshire, because after those two states, that's where her ground game is. That's where her support is. If she's not able to do it really in Iowa, that's where she's been focused most of her efforts, it's going to be really hard. And what's going to make it harder is if she's stuck here in Washington at the Senate trial a couple weeks before Iowa, someone like Bernie or um, Warren, people know them. And they also have more high-profile surrogates, so it's not helpful for them to be off the trail, but it's okay Klobuchar needs to be on the trail talking to voters because that's where her strength is. Nikki,
1: you and I have been to several of the debates, and Amy Klobuchar really always does performs well, well in the debate.
0: always. But yeah. she never seems to get that full. You know, you're not seeing like a double digit bump for her. She's always kind of like a, oh, we liked her, but oh, but we really like Pete better, or right. we really like Bernie better. It seems like that's how voters respond to her. And the thing about the Iowa caucuses is, is that the way that they work is you have to meet that 15 percent threshold to even get sort of counted. So if she is not hitting 15 percent, and you know various caucus sites. I mean, it's just basically game over for her,
3: right? Is the bubble over for Pete Buttigieg? You know, uh, I always kind of look at what President Trump does at these rallies. And last night, it was crazy Bernie and Pocahontas uh, that he that he really focused on. Even Sleepy Joe was um, uh, was <laughs> was not quite there. So, I, I maybe Pete's moment is over. I I don't think. We've seen the last of all these candidates, you know, dropping and surging and dropping and surging. Um, these first two states, I think we'll know more after that. Obviously, I'm not breaking any news there. But, but Trump knows polls and and he's very good at, at reading things. He's very good at reading people. I think he's tapped into mm-hmm. how to talk to a big portion of the American people. Um, a few weeks ago, he was talking about Mayor Pete and and um, yeah. and some nicknames that he has for Mayor Pete. But last night, the, the focus wasn't on Pete. So, yeah, maybe he's falling back, but I wouldn't be surprised in two weeks if we're back here talking about Pete surge. I, I,
0: I will say that at the evangelical vote oh, after yes. the, you know, uh, Iranian announcement, he uh, did go after Pete, but he also went after Beto. And it's like, <laughs> dude, he's been out of the race for quite some time. But he's like, oh, that guy. Well, I still want to just make fun of him for, like, not liking oil and being from Texas. So, like, that was actually part of the, you know— the speech uh, at a church.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, right. Oh, so, so much to talk about. And yet there are even other stories that maybe we haven't gotten to yet that caught your attention, your favorite story of the week. We'd love to uh, do a little roundtable on that as well. Um, you got anything for us,
0: uh, Nikki? You wanna start? So uh, I wrote a story about this yesterday, but AOC, our gal AOC, got a puppy. Uh, and the puppy, I believe, does not have a name yet. I didn't check Twitter this morning. but well, she's it been- is
1: Washington. We know that. Yeah,
0: you, if you need a friend, you get a dog. <laughs> I mean, I have a dog. Dogs are great. Uh, so she adopted this cute little puppy, and it looks to be a purebred French bulldog, which you can't exactly get from a shelter. That's more of a, like a breeder thing. Mm. And so, of course, PETA jumped onto this, and they were like, Girl, you need to, like, remedy this quickly. And so they're asking her to actually adopt a New York City shelter dog to keep her puppy company because, you know, she works all these long hours on the hill. And also she would, she put on her Instagram that she was crate training the puppy, and PETA thinks it's very cruel to put your dog in a crate. So she's, they're, like, problem solved. You get the shelter dog. They can be friends, hang out together, and then you don't have to put your designer dog in a crate.
1: Oh, the price you pay for being a member of Congress, I know, right?
2: <laughs> Every everything is scrutinized. Everything
1: is scrutinized. And when, if Pete is on your case, watch out. Uh oh, yes. yeah. Ingrid Newkirk, head of Yep, PETA, that's who read the letter. Guest on my show many times, and on Crossfire. And I'll tell you, man, I want her on my side, not against me. <laughs> <laughs> Eliza?
2: So, 2020, we're getting close to the Iowa caucuses. I was fascinated by a New York Times story on Michael Bloomberg. Um, He basically spent, I think it was like 17 hours touring the country. Of course, he's not competing in any of these four states. So the New York Times reporter spent the day with him, as did many other reporters, including a Wall Street Journal reporter, have to put in that plug. But it was just fascinating. I mean, he hit multiple states. He seemed... Reading this article, uncomfortable the entire time,
1: and the only one in those states, right?
2: Right, and so it really is. There is a world where Michael Bloomberg, with all of his money, is just waiting in the wings for this fight. If one person wins Iowa, one person New Hampshire, one person South Carolina, and Nevada, and he's there in all of these states, and he's been on the ground, um, so it was just a great, it was a great read, and it kind of took you along for the ride.
3: Maybe crazy like a fox,
1: right?
2: They may be crazy like yeah, a fox. We'll find out.
3: Hey, John. Hey, uh, speaking of plugs, uh, my uh, favorite story of the week, I have have two, and they are related somehow. Oh, oh. all Uh, right. The first is uh, my own news. Uh, Next Friday, uh, the 17th, will be my last day at Roll Call after uh, uh, four and a half really good years uh, with CQ and Roll Call and uh, our new parent company, Fiscal Note, and I wish those guys nothing but the best. I will be heading to the independent uh, British-based publication to be the uh, Washington bureau chief and U.S. politics editor, and we will be—we are in already in the process of building uh, a DC team. Uh, already talking to some folks, excited about that, and well, that congratulations, means, congratulations. Thanks. Yes. congratulations, Thanks, guys! Yeah. Thanks guys. And um, that means I get to learn a lot more about things uh, like Mexit which if uh, everyone is not already <laughs> enthralled by this, is uh, Meghan Merkel and. Um, uh, Prince Harry, uh, leaving the royal family or stepping back, whatever that means, and offending the queen and all kinds of drama going on. Uh, Probably the, the biggest story of the week.
2: It's, it's oh, a good yeah. one. Yeah.
3: yeah. Right.
0: Like during the Iran briefing on the Capitol Hill, everyone was talking about Mexit. They weren't talking about like what was going on behind the closed doors with the lawmakers. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Th- there's so many questions. I didn't know they're going to spend some of their time in the UK, but some of their time in North America— Uh, which we don't know whether that means the United States or Canada, right? And uh, that somehow they're going to be making money. um, And we're sponsored by the firefighters and the firefighters on the way by. Um, (laughs) Who knows how they're going to be making money? There are all kinds of questions there, but it's a great story. Fascinating story. It is. Well, my favorite story of the week, I must admit, I panicked uh, when I got a Donald Trump tweet yesterday. We all get them on our cell phones. Uh, and I saw this one. I just, I, I just happened to glance at it, and it said, "Quote, stock market at all time high. How are you for? How are your four hundred nine Ks doing? Seventy percent, eighty percent, ninety percent up." And I thought, you know what? Holy crap! This economy is booming, and I don't even have a four hundred nine K. What's that? So I called. I actually called my financial advisor. There, there is no such thing. As a 409K. There's a 401K, which I do have, which is doing very well. Thank you. But just the idea that he got this. He gets so much wrong in his tweets, right? It's not the first time. But it really sent me for a loop. So you got to always double
3: check, right?
2: Yeah, At least you, you checked. You could have been missing out on money.
3: I could have been. Yeah. Free money. But it's that's going to be a big part of his re-election sales pitch. It, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people, typo or not. Nah, they're going, oh, I know what he meant um i I, i'm telling you don't roll this guy out he's a puncher it's going to be close and all he's got to do is land a few punches late in the late in the late stages and he's got a second term i I really think he's going to be hard to beat yeah same yep
1: no that is for sure and that will be something we'll be talking about a lot between now and november 3rd so thank you thank you uh nikki it's great to see you nikki schwab from a daily mail uh, and Eliza Collins from the Wall Street Journal, and John Bennett now from, we can still, we can already call you, Mr. Independent.
3: We're doing a little of both, so we yeah. can be, yeah, we're kind of a hybrid, uh, hybrid yeah. situation right now.
1: Yeah, so uh, let me move on to a quick parting shot for today, and I always uh, hasten to tell you my comments uh, alone, not necessarily those of the panel. Uh, My parting shout for today, in his address to the nation this week, Donald Trump said that all Americans should be grateful and happy. For what? Yes, I'm grateful and happy we're not at war with Iran, which it looked like we would be at the beginning of the week, but I'm not grateful and happy we had to go through this entire scary episode to begin with. Yes, we've been through foreign policy crises before, but this one was started by Trump himself, and what made it especially scary because the man was that the man in charge was a president we could neither believe nor trust. Unlike previous commanders-in-chief, Republican or Democrat, we couldn't believe anything Donald Trump was saying. He's told so many lies. How could we know he was not just lying again about Iran? And unlike George W. Bush or Barack Obama, we couldn't trust a hothead like Donald Trump to make considered well-thought-out decisions about the use of military force after consultation with his military advisors. Fortunately, cooler heads prevailed, at least for now, and we can only hope that both sides now realize that diplomacy is the only way to move forward in the Middle East. Yes, there are serious disagreements between the United States and Iran, but resolving those differences is not worth starting another war. And that's my parting shot for today again thanks to uh, members of the panel thanks to all of you for listening uh and we remind you again if you haven't already done so please subscribe to the bill press pod it's so easy it's free uh just go to apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify or tune in search for the bill press pod uh it'll come up subscribe click on that and you are in and while you're there if you really want to put a smile on our face In the beginning of this new year, give us a great, big, fat five-star rating that really helps us grow the Bill Press Pod. Again, thanks for being there today. Stay strong, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.